Would you turn to Colossians chapter 1? Colossians 1, and we will be reading from verse 9 to verse 13. Though we will focus on verse 12, but we'll put it into context. Colossians 1, verses 9 to 13. <clears throat> For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We're in the middle of dissecting Paul's prayer to God for the Colossians. And as he bends his knees and worships before God, we see in his heartfelt prayer the purpose of our Christian living. And what is this purpose? That we are to bring pleasure to the heart of God. In which area? In all areas of our lives, at work, in our family lives, in the church, whether we're restless or resting, whether we we're praying or playing, talking or walking, our lives ought to be oozing out with the sweet-smelling aroma that is pleasing to the nostrils of the God of heaven. This is what we're created for. This is why we were saved. The text says to please him in all respects. Now, what does it look like to be pleasing to God? For Paul lists for us four areas that we ought to grow in if we would ever endeavor to please God. One, to be bearing fruit in every good work. Two, to be increasing in our communion with God, the knowledge of God. Three, and that was what we finished with last time, is the third area that we spoke about. And I've noticed that when I spoke about it last time, um, it seemed to me that some, some of us were, felt a little awkward. And I kind of saw... Adam's apple just moving ever so slightly up and down. People felt a bit unsettled uh, because somehow perhaps it was a bit hard to swallow. Uh, what was the third area that we are to please God in? It is to grow in our endurance. Whether when we face harsh circumstances or harsh people. While we're in pain, mocked, ridiculed, there, there, is, there has to be always 
fuel of patience and long-suffering in our tank. Well, one would say, well, that's not hard. That's not too difficult. That's kind of, can be challenging, but it's not. That's not really that difficult. I remember even the other day, a brother of ours offended me and I kind of held my breath. You know, my husband, my husband one day disrespected me and yes, I'm not going to deny it. Uh, my blood boiled. I was fuming. I'm not going to lie, but I kept it all inside. I never retaliated. I'm glad. We are all glad that you never retaliated. To please God. It is not so much about only growing in our godly actions. It's about growing in our godly character. Are you joyfully enduring your trial? Are you riding the storms of your lives with a smile in your face? These are not just my words. This Look at the end of verse 11. It says, attaining of all steadfastness and patience. What? Joyously. Joyously. It's like Jesus being our example in Hebrews 12 and verse 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, what happened? Endured the cross. Joy in endurance is what Christ had. And that is what God is looking for in our lives if we would ever to please him. What well, can this actually be done? Can we truly find joy in the midst of a storm? Here is the good news. Absolutely yes. How? How do we do that? Well, we must be joyful in God. Right? In other words, we cannot be joyful in our trials if we are not joyful in God. In order to show joy horizontally, we must first receive it vertically. Right? The scripture says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. How can we smile in the face of betrayal, rejection or suffering if we do not drink from that fountain of our comfort and joy? Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. Brothers, how can we ever have the strength to endure joyfully if we don't replenish our souls in the joy of the Lord? That's why the scripture commands us again and again. It says in Philippians 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I will say, Rejoice. Psalm 32 verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. 
we need to understand is we are to be pleased in God, not so much only or primarily so that we can emotionally feel happy, though this is good and it's desirable and we should. But that's not primarily the reason we, we are to be pleased in the Lord. We are to be pleased in the Lord so that God would ultimately be pleased with us. Again, like I said last time, maybe paraphrasing what John Piper said according to the text, God is mostly pleased in us when we are mostly pleased in Him, according to Colossians 1. How does this work? This is how it works. As God becomes our center, the source of delight, then by implication, our joy is anchored in Him, not in the world. And so we become stronger. Our reservoir becomes full, no matter the circumstances of life, no matter the category of the storm or the size or the speed of it, we'll have the strength to bless when we are cursed. And we will have enduring inner peace that cannot be explained by any other way than the presence of a supernatural power of God in our lives. And so, as God's power is revealed through our calm responses, in that God is pleased. Now that I got you there, I think the one million dollar question that ought to be in our minds then is how? Right? How can I find this joy in God? What does that look like? Where do I begin? Where do I begin to find this joy in the Lord? It begins with the fourth and the final area that we are to grow in if we would ever endeavor to please God. What is it? To be thankful people. To be thankful. And that would be the first point of the four points. I've got four points. First, to be thankful people. Verse 12 and the first two words. Giving thanks. Brothers, in order to be joyful people, we must begin by this, by being thankful people. Gratitude in the Lord and what He's done for us deepens, enlarges our hearts. It energizes our joy in the Lord. I don't understand. Can you, can you please explain to me what you mean? I'd be more than happy to. Have you ever seen a brother who's always complaining, whether a brother or a sister, always complaining, you know, hunchback, sad face, shoulders down, and, you know, grumbling or whining, whinging all the time, whether about a mother or wife or physical condition. And then you look at this person and you'd feel like he's carrying all the Middle Eastern problems on his shoulders. Imagine if you see someone like that. And then you come to him and you say, Hey, brother, how are you going in, in your trial of your, in your life? Would he ever have a smile on his face and say, 
Oh, well, what can I say? I'm, I'm so joyful in the Lord. I'm, I'm so happy. Would he say that? Of course not. Brothers, even the world knows this. Ungrateful people are sad people, right? Ungrateful people are sad people. On the other hand, what kind of people would we be if we align ourselves to Paul's prayer? And let me read again verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. And please note, giving. This is in the present tense. Present participle verb. Meaning always, without ceasing, all the time giving thanks to the Father. What if we would follow the recipe of Psalm 103 and that we would say to our souls, never ever forget God's blessings, God's benefits. What if we commit ourselves always keeping on Thanking the Lord for His goodness. Always appreciative for what He's done for us. What if we do that? You know what would follow? We would be pressed to meditate on His blessings. We're going to have to start thinking, well, if I'm going to take this path, then I'm going to have to recollect, recall all the blessings of the Lord in order to thank Him. And this would lead us to be grateful people. And what? kind of people would we be if we are grateful people? Joyful people, right? Thankfulness is the path to joyfulness. You throw away thankfulness and you have thrown away any hope for you to be joyful. The scripture commands us again and again to be thankful, it calls us, invites us, and commands, commands us to be thankful. Psalm 92 verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. And again it says in Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is for you? Give thanks in everything. So that's giving thanks. That's the first point. Now, to whom should we give thanks? The recipient of thanksgiving. That's number two. Please note to whom are we to be thankful. Giving thanks to the Father. To the Father. This thanksgiving is directed to whom? To the, to the first person of our triune God. I have to um, pause there and reflect a little bit of, about the Father and say that many Christians, sadly, seem to be least grateful for the Father as a person, right? I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, even as particularly as you have become, become a Christian recently, that you're just not that grateful for the Father. In fact, 
there is something off about something in heaven called the Father. And why is that? Why is that? This seems in the mind of many Christians, particularly the new Christians, um, the wrong idea that the Father is impersonal person. Perhaps they grew up with a harsh father at home, a father who didn't really show much love or tender care and most of the time, you know, these fathers who don't like to show much emotion. They're unapproachable. And so when they became Christians, these these people, what did they do? They carried with them the definition of what father is and they viewed our heavenly father the same way as as they viewed the earthly one, right? Or perhaps they, they thought, well, you know, God is three in one. You've got the Holy Spirit. Well, he's always in me, comforting me, guiding and leading me. Well, I'm grateful for him and Jesus Christ. Well, who wouldn't be grateful for Jesus? He died for me. He bled. He suffered terribly for me. I come to God and I know God through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. So how can I not be grateful for Christ? And rightly so. Rightly so. But what about the Father? Well, you know, I, I know he's, he's the first person of the Godhead. I know, I know that. But, well, in a lot of not knowing what he did for us, we would not be that grateful for him. Now, all of these are possibilities, but I believe the worst kind of slander, the worst kind of uh, possibility why people are not grateful for the Father is that something that the Father somehow hated us, their believers, all the way since we were born until we got saved. And it's kind of like, you know, they think in their mind that Jesus had this dialogue with the Father saying, Father, please don't hate them. Don't hate them, Father. I love them, Father. Why don't you love them? And you know, you know what, Father, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to save them and uh, and 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 uh, give them my righteousness so that you, Father, can love them too. And so, it's only because of Jesus' death on the cross the Father began to love us. Terrible. This cannot be further from the truth, brothers and sisters. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates, meaning manifests, meaning proves. God proved His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Jesus did not make the Father love you. No. It proved that the Father always loved you. This is why it says in Luke 12, verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. When a Father gives the kingdom, brothers, He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He doesn't bite his tongue and says, well, you know what? I hope you do realize that you don't deserve it. But I guess because I'm good, I'll give you the kingdom. 
No. He is mostly pleased. He is ecstatic. He's overjoyed. He's over the moon to give you eternal life. It is his sheer delight and joy to give you the kingdom. Brothers, the Father is not harsh and cruel like people think. No, it's the exact opposite. Let me show you what the scripture says. Open your hearts, rejoice, and be thankful. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father. We're speaking about this first person. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? Mercies and God of all comfort. All comfort flow out of the Father. All mercy and compassion are found in Him. Do we know what it means that He is God of all comfort, the Father of mercies? It means that when we are down, He longs to meet our sufferings with His tender mercy. He loves to sweep us with His pity when, we, when He knows that we are broken. The Father's heart is a heart of gold. Of course it is. It must be. Since He shares the same essence as the Son and the Holy Spirit. His love for you, brothers and sisters, is as infinite as God. And it is as old as eternity is. How can we not be thankful to Him, right? His love and kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. His heart is dripping with sweet mercy for us all. How could we ever hold our tongues back from giving Him thanksgiving? Now we should, we should say to him, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that even when we never loved you, you still love us. You always love us. And even now, when we become complacent, distracted, or even not grateful for you, Father, you never sleep. You never slumber. You always want to protect us. Watching us. Father, we give you all praise and thanksgiving. So the Father is a recipient of our thanksgiving. Now, let's, let's see what he's done for us. And, and, and we pray that as we meditate on what he's done for us, we pray that it would fuel our thanksgiving to him, right? So we'll come to the third point. What did the Father do? That compel us to, to give him thanks. He qualified us. Qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. We are not qualified in and of ourselves. We are not the big guys. We are not the genius. That allowed God to share the, to give us the inheritance of the saints in the light. No. He qualified us. What does it mean that He qualified us? It means that He enabled us. That's what this word means. He gave us to be capable to share of the inheritance. 
He did something. He initiated. It is not us that are good or or uh, have got our lives in order, and so we are qualified, and so therefore God gave us what we need. No, He initiated the process. That's what it means. The Father's love is not a passive kind of love. He's not like um, having love for us, in other words, just purely emotional feelings where his hands are tied behind his back and he's kind of watching us, hoping and wishing that we would have to make the right choices in our own. No. His love is always active. Continually preparing. Planning for us. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. When did God the Father prepare the kingdom for us? Answer, before the foundation of the world. To qualify us means He foresaw our helpless condition. He knew that we were with no ability in and of ourselves. And so the Father moved with compassion and qualified the unqualified. Well, let's flesh it out. What does it mean? Let's break it down. What does it mean that He qualified us? In what way did the Father qualify us? Well, at least I'm thinking of two areas where we were so unqualified and yet God initiated the process to qualify us. Namely, and we'll look into them, electing us. Second, calling us. Let's reflect on these blessings. And as we do, again, brothers, please open your hearts and receive the comfort from the Father of all comfort. Electing us. He qualified us by choosing us. Listen to the word of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved, beloved by the Lord. Why? Why should we give thanks to God for you? Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now pay attention to verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. This is to say, long before the first bird flapped his wings, Way before the first angel sang or the foundation was laid, when you and I were but a thought in the mind of our Father, what did He do? It is as though He picked His eternal highlighter, put a circle around your name and said, You are mine. You are mine. And you know how the first covenant was established. Before time began, how the Father handed you over to the Son and said, This one, this one 
has no strength of his own. And when he would be born, he will rebel. He will be spiritually dead in his sin. But we love him. So go ahead. Do whatever it takes to save him. And thus the first covenant was ever established. Between whom? Us and God? No way. We weren't qualified to establish this covenant. It was between God the Father and God the Son. What about us? Where were we at that time? We were merely a thought, nothing but an idea. No ability to speak or to choose. Yet the Father already planned out the way of your salvation. I liken this to a king who, when he knew that his wife conceived, that this king was over the moon with his yet unborn son, and says, great, a son is going to be born to me. Quickly, let us prepare everything for this coming prince, not just for his arrival, but his cooling, his university degree. Let us buy him a palace befitted for his future marriage. And he calls him, this is my son. This is my prince. Brothers, this is the spirit of the election. You think that this is a bit extreme? Think again, because in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, listen to the word of God, how Peter renders this election. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Brothers, Am I being extreme? I don't believe I'm extreme enough. We need to understand this. We must praise the Father. Be thankful. Oh, how He loves to choose the foolish things of the world to make them wise. He chooses the weak to make them strong. And the despised and the rejected or simply put, He qualifies the unqualified, right? How else did the Father enable us, qualify us? Not only in his election, but also in his salvific call. Not the gospel preaching call, but the call, the, what we call it, efficacious call. The call that cannot be refuted. Behind the scene, a supernatural spiritual call that would raise you from the dead. And causes you to believe in Christ. Causes you to come to Christ for salvation. All of this originated in the Father. Where do we get this? John 6, verse 65. And he was saying, that's Jesus, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to me. How many people cannot come to Christ? Again, no one can come to me unless... It has been granted him from the Father. Again, John 6 verse 44. No one can come to me unable, unqualified, right? No one can. 
come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Brothers, remember what we were like before the Father drew us to Christ. We were rotten, dead in our sin. As it says in Ephesians 2. But the Father, the Father breathed life into our miserable souls. Our minds were darkened so much that we couldn't even see a ray of hope. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4. But in due time, what did the Father do? He placed new spiritual eyes in our minds. He flicked the internal light on. And then all of a sudden, we beheld how great of a Savior Jesus is. Our heart was stone cold, fully resistant to come to Christ. And the Father gave us a new tender heart such that we are now willing to cling to Jesus. We had the devil as our father written in our birth certificate. Workers of iniquity was our title in our resume. Hell was our destination written in our eternal ticket. But what did the father do? He qualified the unqualified. He scraped the devil's name and wrote his own and issued a new birth certificate. He ripped out our eternal ticket and issued a new one, dipped it in the blood of his son and gave it to us. Brothers, had it not been the father who qualified us, not in a million years would we have come to Christ. We must understand his brothers. We must understand that the father had absolute and total free will. He could have chosen you or rejected you. He could have called you or simply bypassed you. He delighted to call you with this salvific call and so you believe. Brothers, my dear brothers, don't you ever let go of this precious truth. God revealed it in His Word so we can take joy in it, tattoo it in your heart, have it daily for breakfast, that the Father qualified the most unqualified. Right? Now, what did He qualify us for? Let's have a look. And again, I'm trying to draw you and invite you to be thankful to the Father. Filling your mind with the truth of the scripture in such a way that you would have thanksgiving as your best friend. What do you qualify us for? The inheritance. That's number four. The inheritance. And it says, to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, I don't want to bore you with the Greek and this and that. So I'm just going to tell you literally what it actually means so you can understand and get some wonderful juice out of this wonderful honey. It basically means in this sentence, this phrase, that each one of us to receive his own portion of the inheritance. Right? It's not like, oh, there's a huge inheritance and everybody will just... Feast on that same one and the same inheritance. No, it is each one will get his own portion of that inheritance. In other words, it is not the inheritance is not one size fits all. 
Or in another way of saying this, we are not some faceless, nameless blob of people that the Father somehow chose and loved. No. He knows each of his own personally and divides among us our portion of inheritance precisely suited to our delight and joy. Wow. There is that personal connection between each soul and the Father. Now, what is the inheritance that he qualified us for? First, we will inherit eternal life. So we read in Matthew, and it says, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake, that's Jesus' sake, will receive many times as much, and will inherit eternal life. Inherit eternal life? What is eternal life that we're going to inherit? Even the devil will live forever. Right? Judas is carried in hell and will be in hell forever. So it's not just talking about the length of time as it is speaking of also the quality of time. Brothers and sisters, what is an eternal life but an eternal, glorious, qualitative life with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all the brothers and sisters together. And it will be a non-ending celebration such that, that the best wedding on earth would look like a miserable funeral in comparison to this wonderful eternal life that we'll have. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it. What else is that inheritance that the Father qualified us for? We will inherit the, the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, in the Old, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they inherited Canaan, right? Um, and where the, God divided the land among them, so each tribe would get its own portion. But we, as Christians, we will inherit what? The whole earth, whether in the millennial kingdom, will inherit the millennial earth all the way to the renewed earth where there will be no more pain, no more sin or diseases or death. Literal, eternal earth. Literal, physical earth with beautiful mountains and fruitful trees with valleys and sky and rivers and streets of gold and there will be diamonds and all kinds of gems. And if that is not enough, we won't go into this eternal earth empty-handed. How? We have a, a generous Father. So it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, pay attention to verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable 
and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Brothers, we will have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. You will not, it won't be like Bitcoin where whoop, two million years, yeah, the first, first time when you go into heaven, oh, look how much uh, eternal rewards of gold, inheritance I have, and then two million years later, plummet. It's not like that. It does not fade away. It is not perishable. And it carries much value. It's undefiled. What else did the Father qualify us for? The kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, if the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, then who will? Us. Those whom the Father qualified. Those whom He qualified, He brought them to Christ so that they would be dipped in the righteousness of Christ, in the blood of Christ, and so we are made worthy. We are made to be qualified. Brothers, there is a kingdom coming. There is a kingdom coming. And don't you ever let your distraction by this world ever make you forget this reality. There is a millennial kingdom where Jesus will sit once and for all on his Davidic throne to rule and to reign. And then for eternity to come in the new Jerusalem where he will be the light of the whole city. What a glorious eternal life it will be. And it will be physical. You know, some of us, perhaps I would dare to say, even most of Christians, when they have come to Christianity, they think in their mind, when they think of the eternal kingdom, the coming kingdom, they think of what? Ooh, spiritual ghost, you know, and hovering around or somewhere in the cloud and just hovering without bodies. It is a physical kingdom. With physical bodies. And in this kingdom. This physical kingdom. We will be living together. Working together. Worshipping. Playing together. Singing together. Chatting and talking. We can be walking along the rivers together. Sitting under a tree and chatting. And you know what? We will have no fear of being offended. Or offending anyone. Without regret. Without gossip. Or slander. Get this. No one's going to get angry. How does that work? You will get to know people. And you will not get angry. And you know what? You don't have to be scared that somebody will get angry at you. (sighs) We'll physically be there. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will physically rule over us. And you know what he will do? He will connect us together and you will get to know new people who also love Jesus and you will see them and chat with them. And one day, within this eternity, one day, a question will be popped. How did we end up being here? Where did it all begin? 
What happened? Where did it all begin? And the answer that will echo from one side of eternity all the way to the other side, it came from the Father. He qualified the most unqualified, for none of us would deserve any of his blessings. Yet what does the scripture say? Let me read to you that last verse. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him what? Freely give us all things. Have you ever heard of such a generous father? Such a, a kind, gracious father. Brothers, let us draw near to him through Christ and give him all the praises due to his name. Let us live a life of constant thanksgiving to the Father and you will see that your joy ever increasing in him and thus pleasing his name. If you're an unbeliever among us, I just want to finish with this. You might say, well, that's great. That's all good. Now I understand. I have a better understanding of this father. He's, he's not that terrible, harsh kind of father. He's a good father. Perhaps I could just come and thank him. I ought to, ought to begin thanking him. No, no, my friend. Not like that. Why? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Huh? No one can come to the father except through me. You want to get to the throne, you've got to go through the gate. And Jesus is the gate. But I'm a sinner. Jesus came to save sinners. No, no, no I'm a terrible sinner. Well, Jesus is such a, a great God, great Savior, great Lord, that he would accept terrible sinners. I have a lot of issues that I have to deal with. I have lust issues, anger management issues. I have all kind of, that is exactly the kind of people that Jesus welcomes and says, come to me. You will not find healing on your own apart from him. But I don't love him. That's why you come to him. He would save you. And he will lead you step by step. Life to come where you will grow in loving Him. What a gracious God. What a wonderful Father that He would send His Son to save wretched people like us. Oh, would you come to Christ? And if you would come to Him, and if you would accept Him, you know what this means? It means that the Father, before eternity passed, qualified you. And he's the one that drew you to Christ. And you will forever live a life that ought to be to give him thanks and praise. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, Lord. Thank you. How can we say thank you enough for, for, for the work that you've done in, in our lives, for, for calling us, for choosing us, for for being there for us, even though we were never there for you. 
Lord, before we even spoke a word, before we were even conceived, yet you chose your people. Wow. And even after we were conceived and were born, what did we do in our lives? But reject you, rebel against you, not willing for you to rule and to reign in our lives. Though you created us, we rejected the creator. We worshiped the gifts and spat upon the giver. And yet, Father, you've been so patient and long-suffering. And you've endured our rejections. And at the right time, you drew us to Christ. And who would ever dare to stand against your sovereign will? We have come to Christ. You open our eyes. We came to our senses and we realized how great of us a God you are and how great of a Savior Jesus is. May you cause us to live for you a life of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.